0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Judge Me by My Cover. Our very special guest today is Sun Kalking, Editor-in-Chief at Irish Tech News. And above all, he has also started four companies, two co-op, and one national sporting organization. He's been a great friend and a great supporter for our series. So definitely check out Irish Tech News when you have a chance. Now, Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And uh, you've been with Irish Tech News for over four years now. So I have a question for you because we go to the site. It's almost like um, a TechCrunch, if you will. has all sorts of interviews and podcasts and articles, thought pieces, and a book review, which I found fascinating. So my question to you is, of all the book reviews and interviews you have conducted, which are some of the more memorable ones that you have?
1: Sure. Look, I mean... um I think one thing, like you say, is it's almost surprising to see book reviews, but for a while we were reading them on uh, the Kindle, but I found that we weren't really reading them properly. Um, you start to swipe when you read on a Kindle, and you you know the, the percentage of the book left to read somehow becomes a factor. So we stopped reading reading and reviewing digitally, and we just review in hard copies so that that when we if we take the time to read a book. We're consciously offline to to engage with it, and it's a funny one. I think it may seem a bit old school, but I find that you know with our phones, with our laptops, with everything else, you know we're so easily dragged off the point that I think a book is a perfect opportunity to just give something your time without you know um, multitasking and trying to do other things and I think actually that gives the book the the time and uh, you know respect that it needs and also enables you to go more deeply, which is I think books are one of those things that in some ways are a fantastically durable invention like the wheel that we don't yet need to invent something better because you know, you could read it on the beach, you could read it on the bus, you could read it in the rain and it would survive. So I guess for all those reasons, um, while you, like you say, while we're a tech site, I think it's still a valid and useful way to read. Now you're saying, um, what are some of the memorable and most interesting ones? Um, there was a great one about the history of Twitter. Um, by the guy, Nick, from the New York Times. And I found that basically with Twitter, whoever's in the hot seat kind of got killed by everyone else. And even, I mean, with um, Jack Dorsey, he's there second time around. And so I found it, it was a very interesting book because you know initially there's six to eight people who do something interesting. And the, the classic challenge so many times is you might be the people that can build a company, but are you the people that can scale something? And the book about Twitter really digs into that and looks at it and you know uh biz stone got chewed up and spat out the other side uh ev as well most of the founders are no longer there and even jack dorsey's back on his second skin so i think a book like that that really digs into it and that's about four years ago and just to throw in a, another one that very recently i think is very important is bad blood by john carrie you and this is a fantastic book because basically it was an emperor's new clothes scenario where uh, they were coming out of blood tests but they were faking it and they, they and, and obviously there's the mantra of fake it to make it but, but when you move into healthcare you can't fake it to make it because if you get the tests wrong then people die um, th- this book actually won the business book of the year 2018 for the FT and i think it was a very deserved winner because on several occasions the the founder used litigation to shut down people that wanted to testify even the journalist, they tried to pressurize him. Uh, Their media outlet was owned by Murdoch. Murdoch had invested in the startup, Theranos, and therefore she tried to get Murdoch to put leverage on him to suppress the story. And so this was a classic piece of the value of investigative journalism and to keep digging and to keep going. And, you know, for six to eight years, anybody that had issues with with the startup, they just issued litigation and they shut people down. And eventually the journalist, much like Watergate, they kept going and they kept going till they eventually got enough of the story out there that it turned out that it was fake. They were faking the blood tests, but it just shows that sometimes the, the bad guys win because they have more money to litigate rather than because what they say is true. So that's bad blood and that's only published very recently. So I think books like that, that move you, impress you and remind you of the value of keep asking questions and keep trying to find out what the truth actually is, because otherwise There's a lot of smoke and mirrors out there. So I guess those are two uh, that come to mind. I mean, otherwise, we're talking about books. We can talk about lots, I'm sure.
2: That's great, Simon. So uh, the first book you mentioned kind of reminds me of uh, Chaos Monkeys, which I read a few Ah, months back. That's another classy book uh, by... um, by um, Antonio Garcia Martinez and kind of talks about the transition that a Wall Street banker uh, had to make uh, to fit into the Silicon Valley world and how he exited his first startup um, to leave both Twitter and Facebook. It's it's very, very well narrated. It's an amazing um, uh, read. Uh, So slightly different uh, topic. You are a very well-known advisor in the uh, ICO space. And uh, there's quite a lot of uh, predictions around the space saying that the crypto winters are over and the institutions are coming. Uh, we have seen developments like uh, the JPM coin recently. And even today, I've seen an article saying if this this takes off, then there is a it's just going to result in mass adoption of cryptos and all that. So. What, as a, as a person very, very entrenched in this uh, ecosystem and society, what what do you think uh, lies ahead for us? Um, what excites you about the space?
1: I think it, it had a lot of noise, and there was a lot of good and bad things that happened over the last 18 months. Um, so therefore, uh, as you say, institutional funds coming in, uh, this is actually a sign of things normalizing. You know, basically 12 to 15 months ago, you might raise $30 million with a, a white paper, a quick little explainer video, and, and not much else. And, you know, maybe it was vaporware. Whereas, you know, obviously, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. And therefore, in contrast, um, there are fewer coming through, but the, but, they're, but they're having more quality. And I guess the the classic challenge is that, do they have a network of people who want to use the thing they're trying to build Uh, do they have a community that sees the value and are there valid tokenomics for it and you know while we talk about some that failed the reason that some failed is is because actually the tokenomics were not sound and there wasn't a user base or a likelihood that people needed this not not everything should be tokenized on the other hand uh, tokenization is a fantastic way to capture micro transfers of value and and this is where it could do really interesting things. So, for example, um, there's one Morpheus Network that I've worked with uh, and Charlie Sherham has as well, and they're, they're doing supply-side logistics. So on one hand, that can sound boring, but on the other hand, this is the classic issue. When you're moving stuff from one, from one international country to another, you have to cross borders, and there's a lot of paperwork, uh, red tape, and bureaucracy. So if these things can be resolved beforehand, then potentially you can have more seamless trade when you move across borders and and tokenization could enable you to c- cover a lot of the checks and balances that need to take place but in a quicker way so so this is something that has a valid use case and already they're they're in, they're working with IBM they're working with um, several other shipping companies because it makes sense so therefore you know I, I guess the problem is is that mainstream media like so my my mom you know would be very worried that i'm working in this area and she'll send me newspaper cuttings that she read in the telegraph that bitcoin's bad and everybody's going to get scammed and and the thing is is that mainstream media has massively oversimplified the story because if you just write about okay it's hard to write about eight thousand cryptocurrencies or the top 100 or even the top 10 so therefore instead mainstream media has kind of had a bitcoin bingo article approach wherefore you know you talk about tulips you talk about the south sea company you talk about you know, the, the pizza that was bought at 20,000 Bitcoin and, and this, you know, it's a more complex subject than that. But unfortunately, mainstream media just focus more on the potential for scams and also the the potential rise in value. And, and, and this distorted away from more mundane, but more practical things. I mean, also, if we talk about Bitcoin and crypto, and this is something for Theo as well, like the financial services is the logical area where it begins first, because if you want to talk about capturing micro measures of value, well, well, money is the most fundamental capture of value. Obviously it spins out into other areas, energy and other things, but it makes sense that it will come in FinTech first. And this is maybe less sexy, more complex to explain. So therefore you're kind of asking me, how's it going? And I think, I think it's that, you know, the hyper expectations and into the value of actually building things, which you know you might you might you might raise 30 million in a weekend but it's still going to take you six to nine months to build a product that's road tested and bug tested and everything so i think it's that mission that that clash between lazy stories about bitcoin and the reality of building good products
0: i like the word um bitcoin bingo when when we uh, go into conferences one of the fun things that we always do is we say you know let, let's do a fintech buzzword bingo because it seems like that's what it is right it's it's easy when you read the media headlines when you look at a lot of the conference agenda or even presentations or, or write-ups by a lot of people it's about how many um, buzzwords can, can we fit in there and you just string them together it doesn't really make sense most of the time but people buy it uh, so yeah. Well, we're on the topic of the buzzword bingo. Let's play a buzzword bingo. Now we're a few months into 2018. Let's see what we have so far. Hashtag startup funding. Hashtag open banking. Hashtag voice. And hashtag AI. Um, It's a lot of buzzwords. Um, Those are all the trends that people have been talking. Um, Let me ask you this from your perspective, while we're talking about things that are more practical and realistic, how do you think the rest of the year is going to go, um, beyond you know what we typically cut and paste every year? That we say, oh, we're going to be focusing on customer experience. We're going to be leveraging the opportunities of open banking. Where, where do you think we are actually going to be doing this year? Yeah,
1: yeah. Look, I mean, I, I think it's a good question, and I think it's you know the classic thing that you know we overestimate how far we'll come in a year, and we underestimate how far we'll get in ten years, and you know, if we're talking about voice, um, even within the UK, there's probably 12 to 15 different accents. Say they're from Liverpool or Newcastle or the South or Scotland. I mean, and, and you know, and as a human, I went to Scotland and I met my friend's girlfriend and she said something to me. And by the third time she said, you don't know what I'm saying, do you? And I was like, look, I'm sorry. You know, I just don't understand what you're saying. So, you know, therefore, Like on one hand, machine learning and you know, like they threw all the data at the AI and it worked out what cats were, so that's pretty cool, you know. But on the other hand, voice voice is an interesting and complex thing to get right. And I've and I've even I've already read some interesting articles about potentially Alexa and things like that may change the way we speak because we know that there are certain ways that if you phrase something, Alexa understands it, and if you phrase it the other way. I guess there are some English for example has many meanings so therefore there are like if you said play by Moby it wouldn't necessarily recognize that play was the song by Moby it might think you're telling it to play Moby Dick or to play something by Moby so there are still subtleties in voice that are still interesting and challenging for for voice based banking for example to, to understand so it's an interesting one, and th- I guess what, why am I saying this? Because because you, you're saying, well, how does the year look? And I would say that um, it could still be a while before quality that we would like and we'd expect. And therefore, you know, potentially you're still going to need humans to do some things because um, voice banking can't get everything right. And, and what happens if you fall into one of those edge cases where you know maybe someone has a, a problematic name and 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 the banking misunderstands their name? So. I guess it's the thing. It's like, you know, we watch Minority Report. Minority Report was about 17 years ago. And therefore, we think, why can't we have it all now, you know? And then, you know, so we have these crypto winter, these AI winters where we go up and we go down in terms of how fast things can happen. Um, now, I think movies like that or like her, you know, are, are really useful because sometimes I think the, the the fictional and imaginative space are where we can sketch ideas out much faster and then go back to the developers and go make it so. Because we're freed up from the the logistics of what is really possible. On the other hand, I think it takes longer than people realise to make to make it work well. Um, so therefore, you know, the rest of this year, I guess, uh, as Aaron mentioned with uh, Morgan, you know, and and their cryptocurrency. The big Boys are coming in, but at the same time they've also been sitting on the sidelines to watch and see, so you know they've learned from all the mistakes that been made have been made over the last eighteen months, and in some ways that's quite a logical play you know why why put your your resources and your until you can see w- w- the best way to go on it and therefore, and also I guess I know this in a different way because we've been talking to investors and saying, "Right, are you moving into the crypto space?" and they're like, "No, no, 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 too wild west, too risky." look at that guy who died and there's 180 million in assets and nobody knows, you know, and now it turns out maybe it's a scam. I don't think we've heard the end of that story. So, so I guess institutional investors on one hand have a conservatism where we'd like to move faster. And yet on the other hand, it's logical because they have more due diligence and more uh, areas where they have to make sure that everything's right before they invest. So therefore the money is coming in, but it's coming in, in you know, in a, like in sandboxes in smaller areas. So, and I, I guess I guess the thing is leading up to the winter of two thousand and seventeen and into early two thousand and eighteen, everybody thought that you know John McCaffrey, Bitcoin will go to one hundred thousand we 're all going to be mega millionaires, whereas you know it 's still performing in a very interesting way, but you know the, 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 the effect of reality is, is is bringing things back to a more measured orbit, and I think overall that 's a good thing so You know, we're in a hype cycle, but hopefully with with less massive swings. I mean, crypto used to go up up or down 10% a day, which is insane compared to, you know, the rise of the Dow or other places. So 2019, I think it's still exciting. Um, I guess one more thing is back in the day, 15 years ago, we had an environmental education company and we were advocating to people about going off the grid and renewable energy and, you know, uh, electric cars and and people will there's a lot of resistance and it's interesting to think that in 15 years we've actually come a really long way and if you fly over europe and you see all the windmills you know things things have happened much faster than maybe we thought were possible even though if it feels now that things are moving slowly over the next six months so i'd say 2019 will just continue that way some things move slowly but if you can see a bigger picture we've actually come a long way
0: We would like to give a mention to our creative partner, Tremendousness. Tremendousness is a creative agency that uses visual thinking, information design, and storytelling to help organizations explore and innovations, products, and processes. Learn more at www.tremendo.us.
2: That's very true, Simon, because uh, there was a conversation about a couple of weeks ago when I was at an event about open banking, because when open bankings uh, happened, the regulation came into effect uh, in Jan last year, uh, people expected some kind of a revolution, some kind of a a breakthrough technology or breakthrough uh, concept, really what has happened since then is the banks have opened up their customers transaction data that they had on in their uh, in their systems and there are lots of downstream systems that are actually consuming that data but for that data to be able to uh, for for these uh, startups and third party providers to Make use of that data, analyze that data, and make clever uh, business models out of that data it takes time. It takes investments. It takes a lot of uh, iterative work from a technology standpoint, and it's very hard to expect anything massive to happen within a span of uh, a year or um, uh, year or even two years. I think it's going to be a good five years since um, I mean since uh, started happening for us to see anything meaningful and uh, massive in that space. So on, uh, on a slightly different note, right? So you have been, uh, of course, it's Irish tech news and you, you are largely uh, focusing there, but you're not just focused on the uh, Irish uh, uh, world. or uh, you, you're, you're much, much bigger, aren't you? So how, how have you grown in the last few years and what are your plans for the next couple of years? And just one point that I just want to throw in the mix is, Do you think brexit brexit is going to help the irish tech
1: ecosystem i think my pinned tweet at the moment is is a screenshot of the traffic of the last 12 months uh because because we find it quite interesting and also it helps to have the conversation so basically this is about where our traffic comes from and ballpark you could say a quarter is irish traffic a quarter is us and then maybe 10 15 is uk but then we have singapore germany india um and other places so this is This is great for us, because obviously you know Ireland five million people um, if you're just going to be big in Ireland, well it's a bit like just being big in Singapore or Finland you know like it's it's too niche you know um, we We also had an interesting experience, so our, our traffic our traffic quadrupled at the beginning of 2018, and th- this was a month after we switched um, host hosts and um, this was because it turned out we were being blocked from parts of the world where we didn't even know that we were getting traffic and and by this i mean congo pakistan you know bits of china bits of nigeria so basically uh our our previous hosting company was making an executive decision that they felt that this is obviously bots and spam traffic but it turned out that it was people who had put in the relevant keyword search terms and wanted to read about the stories we were writing about and but they weren't the addresses weren't getting white listed and it happened because I was in Moscow and we were doing some stuff with Skolkovo about what they were doing which is an innovation park and they said we just can't see what you published and we're like well why on earth's that and then it turned out that it wasn't just them it was the whole of Russia being blocked so I guess sometimes you you may not even realize where, where you're not getting traffic from unless you can start experimenting and we do that a lot and we keep experimenting just to try and see what the anomalies are um, and also in this way about two or three years ago uh, India started to rank in our top four countries for views now that's that's awesome and that's excellent we, but we weren't specifically doing much about India um, but it turned out that obviously you know with the large number of people speaking English in India you know obviously this is a thing about. Yeah, why be big in Ireland if you can be big in India because of the simple demographics um so once we began to see that traffic then we started to talk with some Indian entrepreneurs so so there's a bit of push and pull we look at the data we work out where we are doing well and then we work out where we could do well or where would be strategic places and we had an experience a bit like so, Star Wars in several years has been the most successful grossing movie of the year, even though it came out in December. So, it, you know, it was a very late release in the year, but it still did very well. So, um, we interviewed uh, uh, the Indian billionaire. Um, oh, I have to think about his name, but him and his brother sold their company uh, to a Chinese company for 800 million. And so, we interviewed him in December, and it was the most viewed article of the year, even though it didn't have 11 months of previous viewing on the site, because it tapped into, we spoke to him about, you know, obviously, I guess we don't want to just generate titles based on clickbait, but at the same time, if you interview an Indian billionaire, there are quite a few people that would like to know one, what they're like, what they do and also how they got it. So I think you have to have a bit of a, you have to be a bit strategic around why you're doing stuff at the same time. So so we, we know people from another media website, quite a big one. And, and, and their, their stories are all are generated by keywords. So they're told to write stories based around the keywords. So, so I don't want us to go, all the way down that that line i'd rather if somebody thinks something's interesting then you write about it and then we'll see what the traffic does you know obviously if absolutely nobody views it then we wouldn't do it but you have a sense of what's interesting and what what might be just worth trying and in any week whatever is the newest stuff is the most viewed but over the month uh, we have this long tail where the first maybe 500 to 1,000 articles are all the freshly published ones but then the, we, you then have another three to six thousand articles that are getting viewed and they were might have been published three three months ago Nine months ago or three years ago, but because someone's typed in the relevant terms So 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 I think people don't always realize the value of a long tail That if you a bit like the book reviews If you review the book as and when someone else wants to think about that book They'll find you regardless of when the review is published because it's it's they're exactly matching what they're looking for um, so that's been interesting and Then I guess the reason our traffic is now much more dispersed internationally is is because a bit like with Theodora's podcast, the other one that she does as well. uh, We're a platform where we work with people to support their content. So we know that when she publishes something, we're going to see a spike on East Coast time when she shares it around as well. So therefore, you know, we have our Irish traffic in the, usually Irish breakfast traffic is optimal. Then you have East Coast breakfast traffic, and then you have Midwest breakfast traffic, and it ripples through the day. So therefore, that will always be increased if you have people who are contributors from other parts of the world. So therefore, uh, and I know on the other hand, the discussion around Irish tech news, some people will say, oh, well, I I, I don't want, I don't want to to work with you guys because you're only Irish. And so that's why we send them the data and the screenshot to say, well, that's rather a short-sighted view of looking at this because we know that our traffic is three-quarters non-Irish. So, you know, where don't you want to be seen in the world is kind of the answer when they're concerned about that. And we kind of feel that a bit like TechCrunch and other things. After a while, the name becomes less, the name just becomes the brand. And it's more about, do you offer useful, interesting content? And if you do, people will come to you. Now, you're also asking about Brexit and the Irish tech scene. And Ireland definitely had some, some ripple because obviously some companies left the UK. But the thing is, is they didn't all come to Ireland. Some did come to Ireland. Some went to Luxembourg. Some went to Germany. You know, um, it's, you, you, often, if you're in the UK based in the UK you want to be somewhere where there's still good English language abilities. So you can, you know, intermediate between the European market and obviously maybe your US market and your Asian market. But in this day and age, I mean, like, so we were in Scandinavia and in the Baltics, I mean, and there's fantastic things happening. And also actually, um, we met, um, several companies that had a London office and and an office in Tallinn. And therefore as London became problematic, they were just expanding the Tallinn office. So therefore, You know, Ireland would like to believe it's going to do really well. But the trouble is, is that the UK is also Ireland's main trading partner. So therefore, if your main trading partner is going into a whole world of uncertainty and it is messy. I mean, and people are even saying very recently, as I think yesterday, they didn't expect that with less than 28 working days to go, it still wouldn't be resolved. Um, So, you know, I think it's one of those unintended consequences of a protest vote. And this, I think, also illustrates why referendums are a very blunt way to make policy lots of people were pissed off with lots of other things and lots of issues give them give them a yes no vote they might vote no for 101 reasons you know um personally i hope that they have another referendum and they don't leave but that's just me clutching at straws perhaps you know
0: let me ask you this simon if you were to have a chance to interview two authors past or present, who would that be and why?
1: It's a good question. And it's a, it's a difficult question because um, with the, with the bad blood, I enjoyed reading it, but in some ways I feel that maybe they put everything on the page. So I'm not sure I'd get more out of talking with them. Uh, On the other hand, uh, we've reviewed several of Brett King's books. And at at this stage, I quite enjoy his books. You know, they're that, you know, like, I mean, the last one was called bank 4.0 but generally he manages to to get out of, you know, they're they're quite interesting and they address quite a wide range of issues. So to be honest, I would say actually, if if one of the authors would be maybe to get, to get Brett and maybe Chris Skinner in together and, 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 and have a a conversation where they all disagree with each other and they all, you know, very uh, intelligently just show why the other one's full of shit kind of thing, you know? So I think you can be a bit like the, who would you like to have for dinner kind of thing? So I, th- I think th- those are guys who I've enjoyed interviewing, following what they do, listening to some of what they do, and you know that they-, they. And then you could probably throw in Dave Birch as well because we all- he did before Babylon, before Bitcoin as well. I and was therefore- going to say yeah, throw Birch in the picture. Yeah. that would be fun. And I mean, and you know, like I mean, he. I'd say he's definitely a contrarian. You know, so I I, I think put them in the mix, and on one hand, you'd have an interesting conversation, but you also might end up having new ideas and new perspectives on things because these are, and also the thing with Chris, for example, is he, you know, he was off in Rwanda and so Africa has been super interesting for innovation. You know, like I, I lived and worked in Namibu in 99. And so even back then you could just see everyone was on their mobile phone. You know, it wasn't necessarily connected to the internet, but already everyone was using phones. So then when M-Pesa comes along, maybe a decade later, it's no surprise that it picked up in Kenya because, you know, down in Namibia where we were, they were already on their phone anyway because it was too expensive to have a landline. And therefore, you know, vicariously through Chris when he was in Rwanda and some of those countries, you know, Rwanda is, is, is super innovative and doing a lot of very interesting tech-related stuff. So, so therefore, you know, you can see why that helps to inform his writing because you're out there and, you know, a bit like in Namibia, you're seeing how people are using it. So you're not hypothesizing, you're just sitting and observing by being there and watching. And I guess I think that's useful and that keeps us on our toes. And, and also I think because otherwise people sometimes get a little Eurocentric, whereas the reality is, is, you know, rather than talking about Stripe or some of these other payments companies based out of the US, I mean, I know they're Irish, but they're U S based mainly. Um, whereas, you know, with WeChat and what China are doing, you know, like they have so much more happening through, through one portal and, and therefore you know the innovation is happening i think really in asia and africa much more than in europe and and also say with jim we will chat and he'll talk about you know the limitations of the us because it's hard to move fast because you know every state has its own banking setup so i guess that's 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 several authors who would be, who would make one interesting one uh, i think the other one would be maybe the dalai lama because he's a very interesting guy and you know, he uses lightness and humor to yet still, he doesn't not address complex and difficult issues, but you know that he's still personable. And, you know, I was watching an interview with him recently and he was saying, everyone you deal with, even if it's Mao or these other guys, you know, they're still people. And therefore, you, if you can work out a way to create empathy with someone, you at least have an, an ability to have a conversation with them, even if you don't agree with them. So, you know, I think someone like the Dalai Lama, you both enjoy your time, but you probably learn a lot from it as well.
0: I love that. That's really, really good ideas. Um, we might actually be able to make the first part happen. Not sure about the second one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, very much enjoy your time with us. Thank you so much uh, for for sure. being with us today. A pleasure. Um, and let's see what what else we can do next together.
1: Awesome. Thank you very. Thanks for having me.
2: Thank you, Thank you. Simon.
0: And thanks for listening for a new episode of Judge Me by My Cover.